Uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, we haven't exactly been doing a, a, a real tight-knit series, but uh, Doug has kind of talked about some ways and some things that, that God uses to, to impact us and, and to mold us and to shape us into who He desires us to be. Then we talked about the Bible and the importance of the Bible and that it's God's Word and that it's valuable and that it's historically accurate and that it's our guide for life. And then last week, Pastor Doug talked about our experiences and how our experiences guide and shape us and how most of all we need Jesus as that cornerstone setting the direction, setting the path forward for us guiding us in, in where we should go. And, and I want to talk a, a little bit this morning, uh, a little more in depth, how those things shape us. And, and I want to talk about the, the two most important questions that, that we can answer in life and, and how God uses His Word, the Bible, and how God uses our experiences in life to help us to answer these two most important questions. And now, first of all, those two important questions aren't, who am I going to marry and what's for dinner? Those are important questions, especially what's for dinner, because I like to eat. Uh, but those are good questions, but the two most important questions in our life that we can answer are, who is God and who am I in relation to God? Who is God and who am I in relation to who God is? Uh, I love Matthew 16 and, and especially verses 13 through through 20, and, and I'd encourage you to read that sometime on your own. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot this morning, but it's this pretty awesome interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And uh, I actually did a lesson on this with the teens uh, about a month or two ago, so you can ask them and hopefully they can tell you something about Matthew 16, maybe. But, but it's this cool interaction of Jesus with His disciples where, where He really presses them on those two questions. Jesus asks them, who, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give some answers, and then Jesus presses a little bit deeper and says, but who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Who is God? And then after Peter answers, and Peter answers correctly, Jesus then goes to Peter and says, because you answered correctly, that's going to totally change who you are. That you are Simon and now you're Peter and you're this rock and you're going to be this foundation of this church thing that's getting started. That what we say about who God is and how we see ourselves in relation to Him shapes who we are and how we face the world around us. And I want to look at another passage and another story about a guy that had an experience where he was forced to answer those questions. Where he was face to face with God and was forced to say, who is God and who am I in relation to that? And I picked this story, I picked this passage because in this passage we see a practical application of why those questions are important. That it's not just intellectual or academic for us to understand the, the answer to those questions, but it, it's, it's practical. Because the guy we're going to read about, he, he's going to face a, a tough challenge in life, and he's going to face a, a challenge that all of us at some point in life are going to face. 
He's going to face rejection. And that's something all of us in some form or fashion will face in life. Whether it's personally, whether it's professionally, whether it's in, in trying to serve Jesus, all of us at some point are going to be faced with rejection. And we're only going to be able to face that well if we know who our God is and who we are. And, and I think this passage stuck out to me because I, I've had a, a number of conversations recently about with people who have either faced rejection in the past or are currently facing some sort of rejection. And some of those people I've talked to have really handled it well, and God is using it to do some awesome stuff in their life and using them to do some awesome stuff in the lives of people around them. And some of the people I've talked to who are facing rejection have handled it really poorly and have done some damage to themselves and to some people around them because they didn't handle rejection well. And I think a lot of it is grounded in our view of God and ourself in relation to Him. So anyway, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, of course, the, the book of Isaiah, the main character is a guy named Isaiah. As I've said before, they were really creative when they named the books of the Bible. Uh, so we're looking at this guy, Isaiah. And just to give you a little bit of background, Isaiah was a prophet. He, he was chosen by God to be God's spokesman to, to God's people. So, so God would give him a message and, and he would share that with God's people. And uh, Isaiah had a, a pretty tough message to share. Isaiah lived during a, a pretty tumultuous time in, in the history of Israel. Israel was once a, a great and powerful nation, but because they had not followed God and honored God, God is going to allow the nation to crumble and fall apart, and, and eventually other nations are going to come and, and take the nation of Israel into exile. And Isaiah is living and serving God at this time when things are falling apart and and when Israel is going to completely fall apart. And most of Isaiah's message to the people is, you have messed up, you have not honored God, and this is why your nation is falling apart. Because you've not followed God as you should. But the, there's also a pretty powerful, positive message throughout Isaiah that he gets to talk about this dude called the Messiah, the Savior, who's going to come and going to save God's people. And Isaiah gets to talk a lot uh, about that person. And of course, now we know that this Messiah is, is Jesus, who came and, and lived and, and died to, to save God's people, and, and He's saving us spiritually now. And, and I believe from my study of the Bible that one day He will physically restore Israel as well. And so there is that positive element in, in the book of Isaiah, but there's a lot of hard stuff too in Isaiah's message. And so as we go to Isaiah 6, we get to see kind of Isaiah's call, Isaiah's start as a prophet, and how that's going to prepare him to go and to deliver this difficult message to the people of Israel. Look at Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. First off, we see that Isaiah sees this amazing vision of God. And we don't know for sure whether Isaiah was awake or whether he was asleep when he saw this vision. But this is a vision of God and what God is really like. And there's these crazy creatures flying around worshiping God. And it's just this amazing scene. And and kind of as just a little side note that uh, a lot of Bible scholars believe that Isaiah was seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus, Jesus b- before he came to earth and, and took on human form. Uh, we, we don't know exactly if he's seeing Jesus or if he's seeing God the Father, but but either way, he's seeing this vision of God and, and this glimpse of God's glory and majesty and and how amazing God is. Look at how he, he describes it there, that, that God is on this throne and he, he's high and lifted up. And that doesn't mean necessarily physical position. That, that's high and lifted up in terms of authority, that, that he's exalted, that, that he's in a higher position of authority than Isaiah and, and then the seraphim and, and anything else in all creation. The train of his robe filled the temple. Now, sorry, Keith, that, Train isn't like a locomotive. It's not like the, the Johnny Cash song or whatever, long black train. I get that was that Johnny Cash? I don't know. Sorry, Keith. Please don't mute me. Anyway, he's not talking about a locomotive. He's talking about his garment, his his robe. Think like a, a wedding gown and, and like the train of the wedding gown. And, and it's so massive, it fills an entire building, the temple. Again, just showing the majesty and, and, and the pomp and the greatness uh, of how great our God is. And then there's these crazy beings, the seraphim, which seraphim actually means fiery ones. That they are probably bright and and fiery and and just these amazing creatures to see that that have six wings, and and I, I think it it would be pretty amazing, pretty breathtaking just to see these creatures. Just to have one of them standing before you, you'd be pretty blown away. And yet, as amazing as as those fiery ones, those seraphim were, they are worshiping God. They are humbling themselves before God because God is so much more magnificent and so much higher even than they are. And then it says those the seraphim, they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And I, I want to make a, a little side note there that it says that they called to one another. It doesn't say that they, they sang that chorus. It just says they called. So, so it's more likely that they chanted to one another. And, and I think sometimes we can uh, assume and, and think that they, they sang this when that's not exactly what it says in there. And now uh, I bring that up not because it really matters, 
that much, whether they chanted it or whether they sang it. But just to make a, a little side point that as we read the Bible, we need to remember to read carefully. We need to make sure we're not just assuming we know what is there, but, but that we're actually paying attention to the details of what God's Word says. Because again, it doesn't make a huge difference whether they chanted or whether they sang in this passage, but there's a lot of other passages where if we just kind of assume we know what's going on without really thinking into the details and paying attention to the details, we could get some really wrong ideas and wrong interpretations and, and wrong ideas about God and who He is and what He wants us to do. And so just a little reminder there to, to pay attention to the details of what you're reading and studying in Scripture. But more importantly than how they were doing it is, is what they were saying there. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And holy is a word that means set apart or, or set above. That, that God is set apart from all the rest of creation. That, that He's above and beyond the rest of creation. And that three times repetition was a way in linguistically to really emphasize and drive home the idea that God was holy. To say to, to the uttermost, as greatly as we can express it, that God is holy. He's not just a, a little bit set apart. He is completely beyond. He, he is in a completely different stratosphere than us as human beings and in all the rest of creation. And that's the whole point of this entire little vision here of God. Just to show how amazing and how great He is. And what I want us to realize is my explanation here probably doesn't do justice to what Isaiah says here. And what Isaiah wrote here doesn't do justice to what Isaiah saw. Right? What we have written here doesn't really fully give us an idea of what Isaiah saw. Right? It's like if you've ever seen some magnificent sight, like, like if you've ever been out at night and seen like a, an amazing uh, starry night. Right? There's been a couple of times in my life where, where I've been out at night and looked at the stars and been like, that is just so amazing. And then if you've ever tried to like take a picture of that, right, you, you just end up with this fuzzy gray image that does no justice to how magnificent the starry night is. And that's Isaiah's words here. It's just this grainy picture of what he actually saw and experienced. What he experienced was so far beyond what he could put in words. And I also want us to understand here that even what Isaiah saw, even if he could fully give us a representation of what he saw, he is only seeing a glimpse of the glory of God. Right? This isn't God saying, here's the grand finale, here's the, the horse and pony show, or whatever the expression is, of this is all I got, look at it, Isaiah. God's saying, I'm just pulling back the curtain just, just a little bit give you a little glimpse of how great and how awesome I am. And so this whole thing shows us who is God, 
that he is a, a being that is utterly beyond us. A being who is great and majestic and amazing and, and beyond what we can understand or comprehend or hope to try to describe. And so who are we in relation to that? Look at Isaiah's response in verse 5. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That Isaiah stands before God, and he's blown away, and he's humbled, and he's completely broken before God and he feels completely unclean, and he says, woe is me, that he feels as if God should just wipe me out because I do not deserve to be in His presence in any way. And I think sometimes we want to think that we would stand before God and be like, what's up, bro? It's all good. Jesus is my homie. But Isaiah stands before God and he's utterly and completely broken before Him. He says, I in no way deserve to be in the presence of God. That I am a man of unclean lips. And what's interesting about Isaiah is as far as we know, Isaiah doesn't have any massive sin issue in his life. It's not like Isaiah was some kind of mass murderer who now he stood before God and went, oh, I messed up. This is bad. I shouldn't have done that. Isaiah, if we knew Isaiah, we'd probably say he was a good guy. Right? He was a good guy. He had sin issues like the rest of us, but he was a good guy. And yet, as he stands before God, he says, I am unclean. I am undone. Woe is me. And I understand that this is something we don't like to think about and we don't like to acknowledge. How far short of God we fall. How unclean we would be before the presence of God. We did a study this spring with the teens on just our identity and who the Bible says we are. And one of the things we looked at is the Bible says we are sinners. We fall short of God and who He is and who He made us to be. And we should be humbled and broken before God. And I, I want to leave us there for just a moment to acknowledge that, to acknowledge how much greater God is than us. To acknowledge that on our own merit, we don't deserve to stand in His presence. And there's some good stuff to come, but, but we got to acknowledge the tough part to make the good stuff even better. Because we're going to see that God is a God who is far greater than us, but He's not a God that wants to be far off from us. He is far greater than us, but He's not a God who is far off from us. Go on to verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And first of all, I want us to see what God doesn't do. God doesn't just destroy and wipe out Isaiah. God could have. 
Isaiah is a sinful man like all of us, and we know the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah knew that and understood that as he stood before God, but God doesn't wipe him out. God doesn't destroy him. But I want us to understand the other thing that God doesn't do. He doesn't just come down and put His arm around him and say, I love you and I accept you and what you've done doesn't matter. It's all good. He doesn't do that either. right? Because that's not forgiveness. To just say that our sin and our wrong doesn't matter isn't forgiveness. That's not what God offers us. Right? An example I thought of is uh, there's a mother in the youth group, I won't say exactly who it was to embarrass her, but uh, from time to time she'll she'll text me to ask like what time something is or, or some detail about an event, and, and she'll always text me and be like, I'm really sorry for bugging you and interrupting your day and, and really apologetic for texting me. And I'm always like, it, it's alright, it, it's not a big deal, it's part of my job to answer these texts and it takes me like a whole 30 seconds to do it, so it really doesn't bother me. You haven't wronged me in any way. And so that's not forgiveness. Like You've probably been in a situation like that where somebody's apologized and and you're like, I'm not forgiving you because you, you didn't wrong me. And that, that's how kind of our culture wants God to be. To just be like, hey, it's, it's alright. You're all good. Don't worry about it. And that's not how God is. That's not what God does with Isaiah. God acknowledges, Isaiah, you, you are unclean. You have sinned. You have fallen short. But yet God comes and God takes the sacrifice from God's altar. God takes His sacrifice and He goes to Isaiah and says, by my sacrifice, you are now clean. Your sin is washed. Your sin is forgiven. Right? And that's what God offers us through Jesus Christ. Not that our sin doesn't matter. Not that there is no wrong that we've done. But He says by Jesus' sacrifice, by what God did on that cross, I come and I forgive you and I cleanse you. Your sin is washed away. The guilt is paid for if you're humbled and broken like Isaiah before God. If you acknowledge, I need that forgiveness and I need that cleansing. That God, by His work and by His act, forgives and cleanses and invites us back into His presence. So who is God? He is rich in love and mercy and true forgiveness towards us. If we're willing to be humble and broken before Him. And then in light of that, who do we get to be? in Jesus and in Jesus' forgiveness? Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And He said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. For Isaiah, because God had forgiven him, because God had cleansed him, Isaiah can now stand before God and Isaiah can talk with God. Right? That's a pretty awesome thing. 
Isaiah, in his own merit and in his own strength, does not deserve to stand before God, but because God comes down by God's sacrifice and cleanses him, he can stand now in the presence of God and interact with God. And then he can go out and he can serve God and be God's representative to the people. And again, this is what God offers us through Jesus. We can come into the presence of God. We can come this morning and we can sing and we can pray and we can worship God. And when we're at home, we can pray and we can sing and we can read God's Word and we can be in the presence of God because He's cleansed us. Right? Who are we? If we have put our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. And we are cleansed and we are invited and accepted into the presence of God. Right, that's a pretty awesome thing. And then we're sent. We, we can go and, and we can share that with other people as well. That forgiveness that we found, that love that we found, we can go and we can, can be God's representative to other people, showing them that as well. And inviting them into God's presence as well. But one other thing I, I want us to see and this is where understanding who God is and who we are becomes practical. Because look at what Isaiah's mission was in verse 9. That God says, Say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. God says you're, you're going to go and you're going to talk to the people of Israel and you're going to tell them God's words and they're not going to listen. Like that, that's not a real encouraging pep talk from God, right? Imagine you're, you're on a football team and, and Jamel's your coach and you're getting ready to go out in the field and, and Jamel's like, okay guys, go out and play hard. We're going to lose tonight. And that, that's kind of what God is saying to Isaiah. You're going to go out and you're going to, you're going to share this message and the people are, are going to reject it because they've rejected God. And, and there was a remnant, and, and some did listen, and some were faithful to God, but, but for the most part, Isaiah's going out to face rejection. He has a tough mission in front of him. And this vision that Isaiah saw of God, and this understanding of who God was and who He was, was incredibly practical for Isaiah's life because it prepared him then to go out and to face that rejection and to serve God well in the face of rejection. Because he was secure in who God was and who He was. And the, the, the crazy thing is, there's a bunch of different prophets in the Old Testament and for the most part, most of them didn't get an amazing vision of God like this. Uh, we, we tend to believe that Isaiah got this amazing vision of God because he, he needed it to solidify himself and to prepare himself to go and do the hard thing that God had called him to do. And for us as well, as, as we go out into the world, and, and one of the struggles that we're going to face from time to time is rejection whether that's because of our service for Jesus, whether that's just personal situations. And the only way we're going to face that well and handle that well is if, like Isaiah, we know who our God is and we are secure in who God is. 
The reason rejection hurts us is, is because when another person rejects us, they are saying either, you are over there. I don't want you here with me. I want you away from me. And a lot of times when we're rejected, they're not just saying, I want you away, but you're down here and I'm up here. And if our identity, if our self-worth is tied up in what that other person thinks of us, then that hurts, right? That hurts when they push us away or push us below them. But when we know who God is and how amazing God is and how much greater God is than any other person or organization in our life, when we know that we don't deserve to be in the presence of God, but through Jesus' sacrifice, He he accepts us and He invites us to be in His presence, then that gives us security to say, even though these other people reject me, I know that God loves me and God has accepted me and that God gives me security. And it doesn't entirely take the pain of rejection away, but it, it makes it possible to stand strong. Even in rejection and even in hard times. Rather, the, the people that I've known that have gone through rejection and, and done it in a way that honors and glorifies God are the people who have been able to step out of that situation and look and say, I know this is who God says I am. I know this is what God has done for me. I, I know this is the position God has given me and I can step away from this painful situation and say I'm secure in who God has made me. And I can rise above this rejection and this pain. And so I want to challenge you, continue to, to press into those two questions. Who is God? Who am I? Continue to seek to learn more and more through God's Word, through experiences as you serve God and as you spend time with God in prayer and in worship, understanding more and more who God is and who you are. Because it's not just an academic thing. It's an entirely practical thing that's going to help you to go and face whatever comes before you in a way that honors and glorifies God but we have to have that foundation first to stand on and be secure in God. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. We praise You that uh, You are an amazing God and we can't even comprehend who You are. That we don't deserve to, to be in Your presence at all, but through Jesus, You, you make a way and, and You invite us if we're humble and broken and put our faith in You, You you invite us to be in Your presence. That You give us that security in You and and in who You are. And and I pray that we'd be grounded and, and founded more and more in that. And that would allow us to overcome rejection, would allow us to overcome all of the other stuff we struggle with and we face in this life just coming back to we have this amazing God who loves us. We have this amazing God who is our our Father. Uh, We have this amazing God who just wants to be there for us. And as we sang about earlier, it is so, so good to us, Lord. We thank You that You love us and You care for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.